Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and this is our Wednesday show where we niche down into a single topic, ask a question and unpack the rest. This week we're asking, has the meaning of unicorn been hollowed out? And if so, do we care? The one and only Alex Wilhelm, of course, is here to join me to ask and answer all the questions. What's going on, Alex? Hey, so as a data point, I can't actually do all the asking and all the answering. (laughs) But if you have a variety of questions, I will endeavor to supply at least some words in response. Perfect. Okay. well, question number one is how the hell is this pink new keyboard? Because it is dope. And if you haven't seen the keyboard, go to Alex's Twitter. I am jealous. Okay. so first of all, pink is an underrated color, especially hot pink, a.k.a. fuchsia. And uh, I have a pink iMac and I like to um, color coordinate my electronics because I'm a nerd. And so I had this awesome new mechanical keyboard in hot pink. And I'll tell you this, Natasha, I can't type for a dang on it because it's a new keyboard. (laughs) And so it's it's slightly different from all my other keyboards. And so I kind of have to relearn how to type on it. So I'm going to love it. Currently, it's like walking with my shoelaces tied together. I actually did not think about that. Like I rarely upgrade my keyboard setups, but of course, as writers, we like it's as dramatic as like changing the seat you sit on because this is like our only tool for our work. So when you change anything, it can either go really well or really poorly. Absolutely. And that's why I'm going to die doing work on a Bluetooth Mac external keyboard because I have typed so many words on this keyboard and like in iterations thereof because I've ruined a bunch just from beating them to death. I, I, I need that facility to have it be kind of in the background when I work. Otherwise, I'm just too slow. So yeah, the pink 100%. keyboard's for fun. And uh, it's brought me joy, if also a lot of typos. Well, you inspired me to buy pink jeans, which yes. is what I saved on the pod to tell you. <laughs> I was like, money, pink, spend it. <laughs> I, I love that. So anyways, pink aside, this week we are talking all about, like I mentioned, one of our favorite topics, Alex, yes. which is unicorns. It is over talked about. But today we're addressing something that's under talked about, which is actually addressing like if we care about the fact that unicorns aren't as big of a deal as they were a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, if you think about when the term unicorn came to be, going back to when the, the phrase was actually invented on TechCrunch.com, not to brag, but also to brag, you know, we What's have the that? original piece. There just weren't that many of them. And so the phrase unicorn was picked not just to uh, demarcate a very valuable startup, but to show off how unique and rare they were. Because the unicorns at the time were, in fact, you know, like a unicorn, a mythical rare beast. And over time, it seems like unicorns are the new corner store. And so it does seem to have lost some of its exclusivity. And um, as we're going to dig into also, maybe a little bit of its um, sturdiness or robustness or like maturity, maybe maybe the words I'm going for. Definitely. I knew that things were changing when we started to saw, I think in the ed tech world, a lot of unicorns comparing themselves to camels. They were like, we are not a unicorn that just, which obviously means valued at $1 billion. We are not that, you know, unsturdy, mythical creature. We are a camel. We are sturdy, slow, but worth a lot and are we're going to get you to where you need to go. So I think that was like the first sign of of things changing about how much we care about or value unicorns. People value them all over the place. But the question is, how much merit to be assigned to that value? Maybe here's a small tip. Um, If you are trying to come up with your own word uh, akin to unicorn, uh, don't because everyone's tried and everyone's failed. Dan Premack over at Axios, a, a lovely human that I very much enjoy, came up with dragons for unicorns that are 10 billion. And no one does that. I tried to use it once. It didn't really work. Camels just sounds like something that's going to spit on me. I don't know. Camels are supposed to be kind of mean. And it's probably <laughs> don't smell very good. I don't know why, but I just, I learned about camels in some documentary. 
So don't try that. But unicorns now have reached Natasha kind of record scale. And just to put some data to that, according to CB Insights data, last year, from 2020 to 2021, the number of unicorns in the world went up by 69% from 569 to 959 unicorns in one year. That's insane to me. It's wild. And at first I saw that and I was like, of course, like funding is increasing. Of course, the number of unicorns is going to subsequently increase. But it seems like there's like this massive boom in unicorns that can't just be explained with more checks being written at the early stage, because these are big checks that are being bet on metrics and not personalities and not just like nascent companies. So how have you, I guess, squared away the increase of funding with the increase of unicorns? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of crossover there, but it's not the entire story. So the reason why we're talking about this now versus a year ago or two years ago is the step function increase in the pace in which new unicorns are created. So the reason this caught our eye is last year wasn't just crazy for three months, but for 12. So if you go back in time, uh, in Q4 of 2020, 47 new unicorns were created, a number that's actually above average for 2019 and 2020. And then last year for the four quarters, it was 112, 142, 132, and then 131. That's the scale of the difference. So I think you're right. It's more money. I think also uh, it's not just more money, but increased desire to get into companies early. And as large funds go earlier, they want to deploy more money at a time to make it kind of worth their while. And the startup in question doesn't want to endure a lot of dilution that a low valuation would engender. So the price goes up and you bet a lot more on potential than you do on results. And that to me is kind of the crux of my idea about the term unicorn being kind of hollowed out because it's not as indicative of a business per se, as much as it is potential for future business success. It sounds like late stage is starting to act more like early stage, not just in choosing to write checks, but in how much they're valuing startups. And it kind of answers like the questions we asked probably years ago when Tiger Global started showing up in pre-seed rounds, which is like, how is this going to play out? It's probably going to play out in more unicorns. I think the idea that late stage is now acting more and more like early stage is actually kind of brilliant. Because if you think about who investors really want to back, often it's repeat founders, people with pedigrees and so forth, which is also a lot of the same criteria that C-stage investors look for in founders. They, They bet on people, they say famously, over and over and over again. Is that the same thing we're seeing now? I think it's probably part of it. But, you know, frankly, given that everyone wants to put $100 million into every even middle stage round, it's almost like, how can you not end up with these high prices? And so I wonder if it's, I wonder what's more the driving factor, I suppose. Is, is it the fact that there's lots of repeat founders out there? Is it just the sheer amount of capital that's flowing around? But um, to me, Unicorn now means essentially nothing other than it's, it's, it's now just a random data point versus a club. And just to add some more like factors into the mix before we get into probably our more macro questions, we do know like the time to go from first funding to unicorn is getting shorter due to some of what we just talked about. And also what's standing out to me right now is that startup failure rates are kind of going down. And that might be because startups are just getting better at their jobs and there's more support services and, and capital out there. But I mean, we've always heard like so many startups fail, most startups fail, but now with more companies and more investors being able to prove that they have a better chance at return of capital, why not bet bigger? You have more proof. And all of a sudden, it starts to make sense that we're crowded by this word in every headline. Well, I think that's a great way to start into the the macro questions. And I, I think a macro factor, and one reason why we have seen so much money from the venture capital community go into software, especially recurring revenue software, SaaS companies, is that they are pretty sturdy. 
And so if you know that the downside is effectively de-risked, you can pay more today for future potential because the chance of it going to zero is, is much lower. So your, your, your risk cost of capital or risk adjusted cost is lower. And I, I, you know, that works for one cohort of startups, Yeah, but it doesn't explain kind of what, what, what should we call it? The everything bubble we're seeing because ed tech is still pretty hot. FinTech is hot. Everything seems to be expensive. Yeah, well, let me pull on that more because like, I, I am wondering if most of the unicorn growth has been concentrated in specific verticals. And I don't know if you have that off the top of your head or if that just like is something we can just riff on for a few minutes. But that might answer some of our questions if we care, because like we might not care about unicorns as a whole now. But let's say SaaS unicorns actually still are as valuable and mature as they used to be. Then unicorns kind of still are an interesting data point because they mean something to us. So I'm going through the data right now, just as we talk and kind of parse this up. And if you look at uh, kind of global unicorn births in the fourth quarter of last year, again, pulling from CB Insights data, we're seeing consumer, we're seeing what I would call kind of crypto-y fintech, crypto-y fintech, checkout solutions, a component company, e-commerce, um, an apparel company. Uh, no, actually, to be totally honest, this is a pretty diverse list. Okay. I don't think it's as concentrated as you and I might have thought. Like Stripe is on here, Klarna, SpaceX, ByteDance, Epic Games. And this is top unicorns by valuation. I, I don't think you could get the number of unicorns we're seeing created today if it was constrained to a single category. I bet there are hot spots. Like, for example, I bet fintech is doing well because everyone's funding fintech. But it seems to be relatively broad. And that makes me worry a little bit because not every business model, Natasha, is as sturdy as others. And that means that we could be seeing inflation in unicorn birth kind of end up in areas where it might not be as a good a fit for exit valuations down the road, especially as, as we've seen the stock market and tech stocks especially get hit. Yeah. I mean, we talked about last week, the importance and I mean, I think a little bit of like our hopeful importance of due diligence becoming more of a dynamic in startup fundraising. This week, we're kind of talking about the opposite side of the spectrum, which is like how late stage is basically going to get it together before it gets to the public markets. (laughs) And (laughs) there's been a bunch of pieces that you've written over the past week. And I guess even this morning, that's telling us that the public markets are correcting in ways that private investors aren't. And, you know, what I'm taking from that is probably that the public markets are, yeah, I mean, are just are catching up. They're seeing these companies that have been able to get a lot of investor interest and consequently debut on the market, kind of get humbled a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, the question is, when does that become a feedback loop? For example, earlier this year, we saw JustWorks, uh, an SMB focused HR software startup that had a history of venture backing. They pulled their IPO due to, quote, market conditions, which is kind of like polite speak for it wasn't going the way we wanted it to, and we didn't like the prices we were going to get, so we're going to put it on hold. Now, they didn't retract it from the process, as far as I know, so it's still going to happen eventually just later. But on one hand, we are seeing this dramatic decline in the value of tech stocks, and then on the other hand, infinite unicorns across a host of verticals. Yeah. I mean, to me, the dissonance there is fascinating because while we're discussing how unicorn means less and less, it still also tells us that there's more and more companies that are worth more. And so we're almost dissing the term as it becomes more prevalent, which sets up even greater contrast with where things are in the public markets. Wow, go off. That is so well said. It's, it's now also making me think out loud about how we may care about unicorns a lot more in two years, five years, 10 years than we do today. And that might just be when the bubble bursts, which maybe isn't a hot take, but I somewhat thought that unicorns were now going to forever be a part of the startup ecosystem. 
But if we see the public markets start to be unhappy and, and then investors start to slowly respond, do you think that unicorns could be something that we're starting to be like, oh, my God, this is happening five years from now? Or is there something else we're going to be like surprised by? Man, I wish I had a great answer to that. because It's a brilliant question, but I, I just don't think I know. I think there's a couple of ways to consider the future. One is the unicorns that have been built. By built, we mean the number of startups that met the $1 billion valuation threshold in the last couple of years. How they will do when they eventually have to find an exit, we will know the answer to within five years because these companies right. have already raised so much money and you know there will be some pressure for them to go forth and find liquidity. Maybe there are enough companies in the current recent crop of new unicorns that will stumble that we may see the feedback loop that you seem to be describing play back into the private markets and lead to more conservatism. But that's a really long feedback loop. I mean, it's not the CO2 cycle in the ocean slow. It's not glacier slow, but it is pretty tepid. I'm more curious if we're going to see something sharper and more painful in the near term. A lot of companies got funded in the last 18, 24 months based on buoyant software valuations in the, right. in the public markets. And that led to everyone having a lot of money. It led to venture capital funds getting more capital from LPs. Everything kind of went up based on, on that price point. And a lot of those companies are going to need to raise again this year. And the stock market has fallen you know, 33% roughly for software stocks since its peak in the 2021. That could be a shorter term shock or a more near term shock to investors and confidence, frankly, on the private markets, which might go to show, back to our thesis question of the day, that the definition of unicorn was, in fact, entirely hollow, that it was more pinata than boulder or <laughs> a solid object. You shouldn't come up with analogies on the fly, Alex. No, that works. That works enough. <laughs> Imagine like a flimsy thing letting sad ca expired candy out into go. the abyss. <laughs> I, Wait, I'm following Why them. is it expired candy? I'm not I don't know. poison it's, people. It's always expired candy and pinatas. <laughs> is it? I don't know. But like, I, that's my memory of it. Like, it's never like what you want. It's like, like it's not, never a Reese's. Yeah, right. It's always those really hard to chew, uh, like pink uh, gums that you think are going to be great. And then you oh, spend like my... four minutes trying to bite into. Like, just Let me be tell a high you, chew. You know, the best part about being an adult is when you go to the candy aisle at the grocery store, no <laughs> one can tell you no. Oh, my I, God. I've, I've been going hog wild lately. <laughs> spending capital. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Look, my spending is someone else's income. It's economics. I am merely supporting the local economy and the CVS Corporation. <laughs> empties Amazon cart immediately. <laughs> Do your service, everybody. Buy some candy. Uh, back to topic and unicorns. Yeah, I mean, I want to throw in another reason we may see even a hollowed out unicorn ecosystem not matter much for the next few years, which is that it's, you know, we all know that private companies are staying private longer and longer. And I don't see any reason for them to change their mind if they if, if we're starting to see the public markets start to seem a little bit more unfriendly. So I think that it'll be a while before we see the proof that these are not sturdy companies or the actual S1s and financials in ways that would at least you know help this thesis in some way. Right now, it's really easy for every investor and founder to kind of rest on the fact that they're still private and not prove anything. Well, or, or not prove much. I mean, because what you're saying is the, the enthusiasm and the optimism that gave these companies what we might call premature unicorn valuations may still persist in the private markets, allowing them to keep fundraising at prices and valuations that are perhaps dissonant with public markets, but that doesn't matter yet if you're still fundraising on the private markets, if that gap remains and people expect the public markets to come back up. So maybe you're right. Maybe maybe I'm being too pessimistic that these less sturdy unicorns, these less revenue-y unicorns are uh, going to last longer than we think. But here's my, my concern. There's nearly a thousand of these things. 
Yeah. And the IPO market thus far in 2022 is a loud sighing sound from many investment bankers who were hoping to have much more in fees coming in. It's not there. There's, I mean, like we thought Reddit was going to file publicly. Yeah. We thought Via was going to file publicly. We thought JustWorks was going to be public by now. Instead, big nothing. SPACs, catastrophe. Move on. So what are we going to do with all these companies? <laughs> Nearly a thousand unicorns. I mean, and now I'm kind of changing my mind. Like the term or like the weight of a unicorn may be less important, but I think the signal maybe matters more than ever before because any move they do next tells us a lot about late stage companies and how confident they are about their exits as you're kind of talking it out. If you raise more, we know that this is just late stage capital doing its thing. And thank you, Tiger and SoftBank. If they leave, it's maybe a rush to get to the public markets. And then if they if they stay and don't do much, we know who to like kind of keep our eyes close on and look at those delayed IPOs because that kind of gives us our peak into stability. Yeah, simply because maybe the definition of what unicorns are has been hollowed out doesn't mean that the, the collection of companies that are unicorns hasn't raised tons of money at highly... Uh, Speculative valuations in, in the same way that, yes, Newt Gingrich is a useless old windbag, but he does have some sway in American politics. So occasionally I have to listen to him. Right. <laughs> I think the takeaway here is like maybe they're important, but they are just something that we will continue to use as a signal, not so much so as success as before. I, when I was covering EdTech in the beginning of the pandemic, it was such a joyous moment when a startup became a unicorn. And I think just the fact that it's become something we're numb to may go in cycles, but I'm starting to land on the fact that like it's okay if we are numb to a company reaching a big valuation when big valuations are status quo. Like yeah. of course. Yeah. And I, I think I think numbness is maybe even an even better phrase than Halloween out. Like people send me emails that are like, you know, new unicorn announces funding next week. Do you want to see the news under embargo? And that is as uninteresting to me as like you know, Wheaties for lunch. Like, it's just kind of like, whatever. It's, it's, it's standard fare, if you will. Question though, before we go, is there a definition for startup success that we should hold on to? Because this one has been diluted to the point of being kind of meaningless from a, like a, a real signal perspective. So Natasha, is there, is there something we can really hang on to? Mm, one thing that I am caring less and less about is obviously the amount of capital you raise and more, oh, this is going to be such like a Natasha answer to the question, unfortunately. That's fine. But I, I've, I've been focusing a lot more of my interviews on like the founder mindset and morals and ethics <laughs> of building. So less about like the business fundamentals and more about can you be honest about what it means to be contrarian, what it means to screw up. And when we do get to something like how you're capitalizing your business, can you be honest about the incentives that you have created for yourself in this sector? To me, I felt better about that because it is harder to lie about in a bubble. And it's kind of comes down to a founder by founder thing versus, you know, a mega fund choosing to put money into you. What's really fascinating about that is we talked earlier about how the late stage is becoming the early stage in, in, in like how it's focused on credentials and potential. Yeah. Your answer there is very much attuned to that. It's You're talking about founder honesty, candor, transparency. I mean, the, these are, again, you know, almost like seed stage things that you would look for in a founder to back for the long term, but we're not talking about them for much later stage companies, as opposed to them being almost inferred. Yes. Inferring does not exist anymore. I feel like being cynical, obviously, as a journalist is always part of our job, but I think everyone's kind of like waiting for the other shoe to fall. But let me turn that question back to you. Like you used to write a column about the 100 million ARR club yeah. and 
you know, it's not something that feels as important to you, I think, as it was in the past. So what metrics are you caring about or what like signals are you looking for before you realize that a company, you know, probably is a strong business, something to write about? You know, it's it's I don't have a great answer to it because I haven't found the right metric that enough companies will share with me <laughs> with enough regularity that I can actually use it across enough companies to learn. Yeah. Um, the, private companies are still far too closed off, I think, not just from our perspective as journalists, but I think the SEC has been thinking about this from investor perspectives as well. Like there should just be more disclosures. And uh, I think there's been a lot of bad leadership in the world of technology. Like if you think about Alphabet, which only started recently to break out YouTube revenues, I mean, that company is trying to be as big of a black box as possible. And I think it's a disservice to uh, the American economy. Like go read Microsoft's, you know, quarterly disclosures on a per product basis, then go read Alphabet's. It's a joke. Really? And I think that perspective percolates down. So I would say maybe, and this is kind of in keeping with the Natasha mindset, willingness to be transparent about results is the thing that tends to be indicative of the strongest quality companies that I talk to. And that's not tied to a specific stage or valuation, but it does tend to be those companies in my experience that do the best. And that's anecdata to the nth degree. And then I'll just say, as, as always, high margin recurring revenue. Plot to us, Alex wants high margin recurring revenue. Look, no, I'm going to get it, that tattooed on my forehead. I will say just like the overall numbness unicorns, my takeaway at the end of this episode is like it's going to make all of us do our jobs better. The founders who are getting the valuations know that they have to do their jobs better, maybe more than before. Journalists need to find ways to like break through a lot of like, well, we finally get to say, hey, everyone's raising or a lot of people are raising. So what else do you got? You know who's going to suffer? PR people. Yeah. Because they had this lever. They're like, ah, it's a unicorn now. We'll tell everyone in the journalism community about it. And then now we're like, we also don't care about that. And they're going to be like, what do you care about? And then we're going to say, can we see your, your income statement? And they're going to say, no. And then we'll have reached an impasse. So this is, founders have lots of money. We're cynical. And PR people are stuck in the middle. That's a tough place to be. And now that we've gotten to PR o'clock, I think it is a wrap on the show. <laughs> we will be back on Friday morning. Alex, you are the best. So fun to do this episode with you. And we'll see everyone soon. 